impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast. As always, thank you for the time. We certainly will not take it for granted. But I also want to ask that you please hit that like and subscribe button if you watch these episodes each and every single week. Share it with a friend if you get value from this. And if you're new here, we wouldn't mind you hitting that like button and leaving us a rating to let us know what you think. This is The Modern Man, and we are on a mission of connecting men in pursuit of their potential. We do that by embracing discomfort, cultivating community, and putting wind in each other's sails. If you're looking for wind in your sails, be sure to check out our mastermind group, The Noble Knights. We meet weekly. It's an exclusive group of men just like you looking to elevate and be their best selves and show up every day in their lives and increase capacity. But we need to get wind in our sails in today's episode. I'm so thankful to have Peter Mutubazi joining us out of North Carolina, a.k.a. Foster Dad Flipper on the podcast. Peter, thank you for taking the time. Oh, well, thank you, Ted, for having me here. I'm truly excited to, to share my journey with you and your viewers as well. Absolutely. Uh, you're also the author of uh, Now I Am Known, which is which is a book I've been able to open up and look through, but haven't been able to jump in it cover to cover, admittedly so. But I'm excited to get into it. Before we talk about your experience and, and really what you do, I'd love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself in your own words to our audience and get acquainted before we uh, hop in the conversation. Absolutely. My name is Peter Mutabazi. I'm originally from Uganda. You know, I was born from a little small village at the border of Uganda and Rwanda, but was a street kid for most of my years in Kampala. And then I went to England. And then that's how I came to United States as a student. I live in North Carolina. Currently, I have five kids. I've adopted one and the other four are foster children that I love so much that I truly love being a foster parent. And it's been my true journey to advocate and be a voice for the most vulnerable. And that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I, I love that because I think your story comes around very much full circle. And and for, for anybody maybe looking towards maybe getting the book or anybody who's just meeting you and hearing you for the first time, I'd love to kind of pull back how the story comes full circle with first the, the young Peter in Uganda. What was that young Peter like? What were the dreams, aspirations? What were your, I guess, your visions of the future as a young Peter in Uganda? Take us back there. Well, it wasn't a really good place to to really say that there was hope. You know, I grew up in a place where poverty is all we knew. And it wasn't just me, but it was everyone around me. You know, grew up in a place where we never had one meal a day. We had a meal every other day. And the meal was either beans or potatoes. We couldn't afford milk. We couldn't afford anything in, in life. And, and, and also this food, we had to grow it ourselves. So it's not like we would go buy it. We had to grow it. So at an age of three, four, I was able to help my mom go to the garden and dig and, and help. You know, I went to fetch water three miles away. So think about at age of four, you can go three miles, one, two miles back and twice a day to provide for your family. So for me, there wasn't really a time I would say that I ever dreamt to say, I want to see tomorrow. No, because tomorrow or today was harsh enough that I didn't want to see the next day. And I also knew there was no change at all. So in some way, like, that's all you knew. You know, I didn't have a name until when I was two years old. Why? 
because for every 100 children were born in my village, 60 would die before the age of two. And they would die from simple diseases, just like wars. Think about if you haven't eaten for days and you get malaria, literally you have 12 hours to survive. And as a poor mom that could not provide for us, there was no glimpse of hope. So that's a little bit of my background. And then at the age of four, I realized that not only were poor, but my dad was different from other dads. My dad was just mean. I never, never had had any kind word from my dad, either towards me or towards my mom. So for me, I had poverty on one side that could take my life. But on the other side, I had my own father that was my worst enemy. So there was no one time I ever said, man, I want to see tomorrow. No, not at all. Uh, so grew up in that village until when I was two, 10. At 10, I thought my dad would kill me. So I was like, why give him the joy to kill me? I'd rather die in the hands of a stranger. I had never been 20 miles away. I went to the bus station. I asked the lady, hey, which of these bus goes the farthest? And that's how I ended up in Kampala and became a street kid. And that was 500 kilometers away from my village. And that became my new life. Did you have a plan going to Kampala or were you just, you were saying, I need to get as far away from here as possible? There was no plan. And I think maybe I was being suicidal, if I can be honest. It was more of, I know my father's going to kill me. So mm -hmm. why let him do, but rather, I would rather die in the hands of a stranger than my own father. So that was my push to run away. It was like, I'm not going to give you the joy to take the abuse. And I think as a kid, I watched, I'm the oldest of five, I watched the abuse go towards my mother and I didn't know how to protect her because most time she got the beatings because she was trying to protect us or advocate for us. So that guilt of saying, look, I feel my mom is being punished on my behalf, but I don't want to see it, but neither do I want to die in the hands of my, my dad. So for me, running away wasn't, I was looking for anything better. It was more of, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to give him an opportunity to bury me. So 500 kilometers away, was the best way I can run away, but I survived and became a street kid for five years. Yeah. Through those five years, um, I love something that you had on the website about kind of after those five years, you were finally seen and you were finally heard. Um, and and I kind of want to talk about that perspective for a little bit, because I imagine that's that's been a lot behind some of the work you do with these foster kids of being seen and being heard. What were those five years like and how did it change when you suddenly felt seen and heard you know i mean the street life in kampala was a hundred times worse than what my 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 biological family or at home was but there was a difference these were strangers they want people who knew me so in some way they had a right to abuse me in every shape form you could imagine you know so that became my life where you knew hey if i can make it through the next hour i am good you know but also i was treated more like an animal you know like literally i was treated like a straight animal like i i didn't belong i wasn't a human being and i believe that you know my father said you never mount anything you know i wish you were never born so i don't have to feed you those are the words i had from my dad on the streets, I had the same thing, that you're garbage boy. No one knew who my, na my name was because no one ever bothered to ask me until one day. As street kids, we always had to learn how to steal. Stealing was easy if you're helping someone. In other words, they would not notice. And it wasn't like we were stealing you know, money. Most people didn't make money, but we we're stealing food. So it was more of, you're going to use me. 
I'm going to use you to get a food. So that was my, my whole motto and how I live my life. So one day I said this guy, so we had a way of look, identifying who we can steal from. You're wearing khakis and sunglasses. That means you can afford food, you know? So I saw this man and I followed him. I was like, man, I'm going to steal from him. And before I could take it, he said, hey, what's your name? And I was like, wait, you want to know my name? You know, because for all those years, no one had ever stopped to ask me what my name was. My name was, you will never mount anything. You are garbage. That's mm. what I heard from people. So him wanting to know my name, that really made me, a little bit rattled. One, because I knew anyone who was kind was always abusive. So I thought him wanting to know my name, wanting to abuse me. But two, it also reminded me of my mother because my mother called me Peter. So him wanting to know my name, kind of like, that's kind of my mom wanting to to hear my voice. So, you know, he, he gave me food after and, but he kept coming every week. So he fed me for one year and a half. And every time I always longed for someone to know my name. And he was a gentleman who knew every time he came, he would say, where's Peter? And I think that really began to give me a little dignity, a little of hope, like maybe I am worthy. Maybe I am somebody. And then a year and a half later, he said, hey, if you have an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? And I was like, no, I am garbage. I'll never mount anything. That's not for me, you know? But he changed the language. He said, hey, if you go to school, there'll be lunch, dinner, and breakfast. That's all I had. Food? <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. Ted, I was like, when do we go? And that's how I went to school. It wasn't like I wanted to be a teacher. It wasn't like I wanted to be anything. No, for me, because I thought... If I can find food and I don't have to steal it, then I can make it. Mm, man. That was the reason why I went to school. So I, I pick up on a lot of uh, survival mentality, which uh, and I can very much understand with the environment where you mentioned food being the deciding factor for going to school. It's like, hey, we, we need food to survive. So let's, let's go to school. and. I feel like that experience maybe for maybe foster kids close to home might not be too different, might not be sure as, as, as uh, the same experience of being in the streets in Uganda, but there must be more of a survival mentality at some point. When was the motivation for you no longer, oh, there's food at school, let's go there. When was the motivation shifted to something as, what am I going to do for Peter? Well, it shifted once I really began to see how people responded to me. So at school, if you looked in my eyes, that meant you want to fight. Then I realized like they don't want to fight, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, I showed up in class. The teacher didn't beat me up, but he always wished the best for me. So once I began to see people see the best in me, I began to believe in myself, like, wait a minute, if they think I have the potential to be in class, maybe I do have, you know, mm -hmm. if they think I'm worthy going to school, maybe I'm worthy. So once I began to believe in myself in small steps, then it made it easier. That meant I'll stay in class because they believe I have the the right or the opportunity to be in class. You know, I like what you said about false care. That's the same thing. When you've lived all your life and, the, you know, that you don't have enough food, it's 
it's hard to say, would you like to go to school when you, you don't have food or you don't have shelter? You've been living from one end to the other. For someone to say, would you want to go to school one day? You're like, no, I need a place to sleep first, you know? So sometimes when you don't have the basic needs in your life, it's hard to see what the future holds for you or what you're capable of doing. And that was me until he showed me, until he said, there's more about you, Peter, than what you think. And I began to see that. And that's really what changed my life. The other thing is the words. I never had a positive word from my dad. But for the strange and the teachers, they always said something kind, like, wow, you're brave. I'm like, wait a minute, me? He said, Peter, I could never survive one day on the streets of Kampala. For you to live there for five years, you're the bravest person I've ever met. So they began to see what, what's neg what was negative or what I saw and turn it into positive, you know? Mm. And I think the more I had those words, the more I began to believe them. Like, wait a minute, Peter, I matter? Hmm, maybe I don't have to steal someone's food today because I matter, you know? So the more the kind word, the more affirmation I had, the more they began to make me believe in myself that I have what it takes to go somewhere. I have what it takes to be somewhere. And, you know, I had never had a pair of shoes until when I was 16 years old. So all these kids in the boarding school had better clothes, you know, spoke better English. I didn't. But it helped me not to see that as, well, they're not up. I'm not up to the par or I'm not up to, to what their standards are. But by believing in me really helped me to see like, I am worthy being at this school. I'm worthy getting a B, not a C. I'm worthy getting an A. And the more, you know, the more steps I would take to get better and to be better and to see that people saw the best in me, that really helped me to begin to excel in school. Mm -hmm. And really that's what sparked the, the idea of, I'm going to be the best, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. and helped me. I love that because I think we forget how impressionable kids are and how important words are for kids because as we grow up or even as we get into the adolescent stage, we, you know, uh, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But the reality is for, for young kids, they do. And, and it's not that they necessarily hurt, but they craft a belief. They craft a vision of how the kid sees the world and sees themselves and hearing a narrative over and over again will play out a different story. And it sounds as though your story started to change when the narrative started to change, when people started to treat you different, you saw yourself different and that in turn uh, rolled out and, and led to, to a different, different world. How has all this progressed into how you show up today? How has this progressed into you coming to the States and then one day deciding to give back and, and, and take on a foster child of your own? You know, so once I excelled, uh, you know, in school, then I began to look at his family. So I had never had a stable family. I had never seen family sit down and eat. But once I... You know, I was able to stay at school. He said, could you be part of our family? So during you know, holidays, I go stay with, with his family. And I began to see what family looks like. Wait a minute. So you can sit down and eat with your family? Wait, you don't have to cast them and throw stones at them, you know? And that really gave me the idea of if there's family, this is what I want, you know? Yeah. Because he was kind. I was like, I want to be like him. So he became my idol because I wanted what he had, you know? I got to know that he had faith and that really led me to, to really be part of that as well, that his faith is what 
really captivates him to help those he doesn't know, but yet he sees the best in them. So I was like, wow, I want that. So once I went to university in Uganda and I got a scholarship to go study in England, and once I came to the United States, I knew he'd, ex- I mean, think about that. You're a street kid living on the street for five years, and here you are on a plane landing in the United Kingdom. Like, wait, what, how does how does this happen? You know, <laughs> but I think for me, it always helped me to go back to say, had he not loved me unconditionally, had he not seen the best in me, there's no way I could have made it this way. So I made it a point in my life, like I will work or do anything that helps the most vulnerable, that I work for charities that help kids. I'll help charities that work in orphanages. I'll help for charities that work with refugees that I wanted because he inspired, you know, so much about me that I wanted to do so even in my career as, 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 a, as a professional. But it changed also when I came to the United States. I think I really struggled coming to US, you know, once I saw how much food was thrown away, I think I really questioned my faith, like, wait a minute, if God, you love people, then you must love them differently. You know, that in my village, people are dying for lack of beans. They are not asking beans and potatoes, just beans. And kids are dying for lack of that. And here people are throwing away food. Like there's, it's just a discrepancy right there. But also I realized that I was fortunate to be here. So for me, you know, to whom much is given, much is required kind of became my motto that I have been given much. I need to do something. But I knew the odds were against me. I traveled to 101 countries. I had never seen a black person who was adapting in my country or in, in Ethiopia. You know, even in in Ethiopia, I asked, I said, hey, can I adapt? They said, no, you have to be an American. You have to be married. But in my own words, I had, you had to be white and you have to be married because I'd never seen any of my color do so. So I believed a lie. So when I came to the United States, I knew they would not allow me to foster or adapt, but they can allow me to mentor teenagers. So me going in the foster it was more of, do you have teens I can hang out with once a week, you know? And the, and the social worker said, hey, no, you, have you ever thought of being a foster? I was like, yes, but I don't qualify. She said, why? I said, I'm single. She said, no, you can't be. I mean, that day I signed up, I said, I will do this. And I think I wanted to really be different. I come from Uganda. We are colonized by the English. And we have this myth that we who are Ugandans, we always be on the receiving end. That white people come and they do good to us and we move on and not the other way around. And I think I wanted to change the narrative. Like, no, that's not true. You know, I have resource. I am the most educated human being that I know. And I'm going to use that to do good for others. And that's why I stepped up to be a foster parent. But I wanted to debunk too. You know, they say black dads are not good dads. I was like, are you sure? You know, that I'm going to show you that I can be a good dad. And not even just a good dad, but a dad to kids who don't look like me. You know, my five kids are Caucasian, not by choice, but by need. That Those are the ones who needed help. But I wanted to change that as well, that empathy you know this man had empathy towards me as a street kid and he said I want to change him the same that I wanted to show here in the United States empathy it's easy you know I I think I've been stopped by seven times by the police because someone called it there's a black man with white kids you know but I wanted to change the narrative like that's that's not true but also on the other side I understood that there's few of us that are doing so and our stories are not being told 
So for me, it was to really debunk of the myth of about where I come from, uh, but also to to truly show that, you know, yes, it's, it's not always the white people that do good, but where I come from to show my people. I have hundreds of followers from Africa. They don't follow me because I'm a false dad. No, but they follow me because they're like, wow, he's doing what we never thought we could do. Uh, and, and I think for me, giving back faith and, and changing the narrative uh, is is wonderful. I like always going against the grain. I like your your podcast, The Modern Man. I like to be the modern man that yeah. I can be a dad even when I've never been married, you know, but I can be dad to kids that need a dad uh, and be an example as well. Yeah, and, and you are you are a shining example, Peter, and, and an inspiration to so many with with how you carry yourself and how you you view the world, because even even mentioning sure, having the cops called on you, it's easy to have kind of a negative demeanor when referencing that, but you you, you do it with a smile on your face. They, they don't know, but I'm showing them, and and that's what it, it really is all about. Is is Every single day you wake up, you take care of those kids, you 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 show up every day in your professional life, on social media, showing them that, hey, this is possible because look at me do it. Um, have you ever been able to ask the gentleman who first helped you why he helped you? Have you been able to ever ask, you know, why me or, or why keep coming back? Right, I did help because I did ask that because there were more than 2,000 kids on the, on the streets of Kampala, but he chose one and that one happened to be me. So I was like, of all kids, why me? You know, why me? And he said, because you always showed up. You you, you always wait, you know, you're always there. Uh, and I couldn't help but always, you know, look at you and say, I, I want to help this kid. You didn't give me a chance to walk away. You always followed, you know. Uh, so in some way he said, you're always there, but I could not hide away from you. I could not pretend you weren't there because you were always there i love that you mentioned when you sat down to ask to volunteer for some teens and they said have you considered foster care you said you're not eligible you find out that you're eligible you signed up right there what are some other things you've learned about foster care and the foster system now that you've been in it for a little longer that maybe someone who might be listening watching right now um might be considering it themselves, which actually are one of our live conferences, Peter, I wish you were there. A gentleman raised his hand. He had a question. Him and his wife were considering foster care and he wasn't sure what to expect. So what are maybe some things you've learned by going through the process that you could maybe share with some folks that might be considering themselves? You know, one thing I realized, you know, when I was going through the licensing, you know, everyone on the side were like, what is he doing here? And I, and I wanted why? Well, They've never had a male who was pursuing to be a foster parent. So that was a shock to me. So one is, even us men, we have a role to play in our kids. You know, I've had, you know, 30 kids. I've never had one day, one kid say, I wish we had a mom. They all always wanted a dad, that they never had a dad. So that was really a shock for me that most of my kids really desired to have a dad. And having me, it was always a joy, you know, that they're like, we wish we just we, we've been there. We just wanted that. Uh, so I would encourage you that, yes, it's, it's an opportunity to, really to step up and be a dad. The other part is I understand foster care as a way of, it's a temporary way of being there for a child. You know, I think that really helped me that, yes, I get attached, but when it comes to say goodbye, I'm okay. 
I'm okay to let them go back to their parents. The other part, I had a bad dad, the worst dad you could think of. So my first uh, my first time in foster care, I had the same mentality towards the, the bio parents, like, how dare them? You know, how could they do this to the kids? That man, I was quickly, quickly taught on that. I cannot judge them because I have no idea how it all began. You know, and I, you know, my first kid was the, the mom had her, had her when she was 14, you know, and her mom was in the foster care. So as I listened, I said, no one was there to teach this little girl on how to be a mom, you know, and the 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 dad of the of the little girl was a pimp who mom brought at home, and I could see that there's no one that was there to protect her, and that really helped me to say I'm going to be a resource to this mom rather than see her as I'm taking care of her child, but rather I'm gonna come alongside and embrace her and say let's journey together, you know, I'm just a bridge and let me help you, you know, have your kids back. And I think that attitude has helped me to truly get to love every child, but also not to judge their parents and come alongside their parents to equip them, to inspire them and to walk with them so they can have their kids back. And I think anyone who comes in that way, I think you'll really enjoy and you see the difference you're making, you know? So not only am I making a difference to this child, but to the entire family, you know, yeah. that that truly, truly gets to change uh, a generation in a way. I, Peter, your, your cup runneth over and you're very, very generous with it. And I'm encouraging a lot of folks to follow the example and, and, and kind of pour it from their cup as well, because so many of us, um, we, we have more to give than we realize. And we might think to ourselves, well, you know, what can I offer that someone would, would benefit from? And I'm sure that there's a kid out there who, who's looking for an experience, who's looking for someone to look up to, someone to see them, someone to kind of just listen to how their day was and, and encourage them to try that next thing, right? Or, you know, hey, tomorrow we're going to try going on the big slide. Those little things that can really change the shape of a young mind, a young heart, and the trajectory and where they go in life. Um, I want to touch on uh, the the impact a pet can have, and mm -hmm. and this is this is um and I noticed this is a partnership that you've had with. Sure, we might not be able to buy a dog for for all of our kids, but also a reminder of just that unconditional love that I think all of our kids all around the world deserve mm -hmm. and how the pet can provide that love. Talk a little bit about how you came um, to the campaign with the, the plushies, the, the the little dogs with the, the I am seen or now I am known on it. Right. So, you know, again, I was treated like a dog. And most time when I grew up, we, were, we would fight with the dogs to get to the food before they did. So I had really no, no, no experience or desire to, to have a pet in some way. But once I got the kids, they were always, every time they saw a dog, they were always stop. dad, can we stop and pet the dog? And I'm like, sure. So finally I said, I, I have to do this for my kids because I realized that impact you know uh the, the therapist who was coming alongside having a having an animal was wonderful so we got a dog but before then the man who took me in used 12 words of affirmation to really help me every time 12 words your gift your chosen your special and i had those and that's what really changed my life and i decided that once i became a 
parents, I'm going to use the same. So I wrote those 12 words on my steering wheel. So when we're driving, I can remember them in my closet. So when I want to give up, I can go in and say, mm, Peter, you can do it, you know, uh, and also uh, on my fridge because it's the place I, my kids get to be. So once we go the dog, I noticed that they will always take the dog when they're angry or don't want to talk to me. You know, so I thought, wait a minute, what if I write these words of affirmation on a bandana and they're always on the dog? So I wanted them to really kind of go back and, and do and you know, And they would take the dog with them and then they would just, you know, go back to their room. But they will read the words because they're hugging the dog. And sometimes they'll come back and say, I say, why did you come back? And they're like, well, I just read that, I'm a gift. So I, I'm, I, I hope I'm a gift to you, you know, <laughs> you know, and I realized how that worked. And then other farmers will come in and we decided to create the duplicate of our dog and have the bandana of those 12 words. And so we give them out so for everyone we sell. We give another to, to kid in the false care or to the kids at the hospital to truly show them that they are matter. They are special. They are known. They're not just a by the way that we know they exist and we want their name be known the way the man made me known as well. Mm, I, I love that because I, I'm picking up on how important um how important the the words are to kids, how important it is to kind of share that. Um what advice would you give not just foster parents, but parents in general, being that you 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 work with a lot of different kids and even as a single father too, handling the five kids and navigating professional life and all that how have you been able to navigate it? What has worked for you along the way? Because when we say advice, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I'm no expert, but at least what has right. worked for you along the way? I think being hard, that's kind of really what has helped in words. I cannot remember the beatings I got, but I can remember every word I had, the good and the bad, you know? Mm -hmm. And the good interchange or really helped me overcome the bad and I've kind of really learned that that my kids ought to be hard sometimes they are cussing me they are not you know in a good place but for me to say hey that's not about me that I need to let them be hard they're feeling mad there's a reason why and I ought to give them a space you know rather than take it past on how dare you call them to say son I hear you. I really hear you angry. I hear that you're not feeling well. I hear you being left up and give them an opportunity to, to feel they have someone where they can go and say, it's going to be okay. You know, uh, my, my, my kids, sometimes they go through trauma where they get to miss their parents. I, I can't say, how dare you miss your parent? No, to say, I know. I know. And what can I do to make that easy for you? It's not your, you know, it's not your cause but that's your mom that I ought to be there for you. So in some way to truly have empathy and understand our kids where they're coming from and journey with them. My job is not, hey, take that bag off. No, my journey is say, you, I know you have a hundred baggages, but my job is to create space. So at your own time, you cannot let those baggage off as you need to, you know? Uh, and I think that's the mistake we make. We, 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 we meet friends, we say, I'm going to fix you, you know? <laughs> no, you know, it, it's, it's more of, I'm going to create space for you. You can do what you need to do to heal. The same, it doesn't matter if they are two years old, it doesn't matter if they are five years old, the older kids need that. They need someone to say, it's okay. I understand what you're going through. And along the way, we get to truly be that into that journey uh, with them to help them overcome their trauma. Amazing. 
Amazing, Peter. The name of the book is Now I Am Known, but I also want to make sure that folks can can follow you on social media, connect with you, uh, go to the website, get the book themselves. Uh, what's the best way for folks to to learn more about you and connect? Well, you can go to my website, Now I'm Known. You can buy the book on any bookstore. Uh, you can follow us on social media, you know, YouTube, Now I'm Known, TikTok, Now I'm Known, uh, and Force It That Flipper. And the reason why I wrote that book was to help others that don't let the past define you, you know, but rather embrace your past and use it as a foundation to help you go to places you've never been, be in a place you never wanted to be, but to say, you can do it. And most of the time, that's what we do. We make a mistake of holding on that past. I'm not saying you can let it go. You can't, but embrace it and use it as a foundation. And that's what I wanted to do in that book on how I was able to be the arts. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I encourage everybody listening, everybody watching to hop in it because I'm about to open up back from page one uh, once we're done. Um, but I, I have one more question, Peter. And, and I imagine... Um, it could be something that you've already mentioned or even something that you might not have mentioned because this is this is something I say for for the end. It's a it's a heavy question in terms of what is something that you've seen or something that's happened to you that has shaped the way you view the world as a man. And with, with someone with your extensive experiences, things that you've seen, uh, I can I can only imagine it might have been something that we've already talked about, or if it's something new, that's that's more than welcome as an answer also. Yes. So I, I'm from, you know, my dad's from Rwanda. So I go to really help during the genocide in Rwanda. And on a day, I would see more than 2,000 dead bodies. And I saw how mankind can be against each other. I saw how my fellow, my fellow tribesmen can truly go against each other and, and take someone's life for no reason because of someone else's belief, you know. And I think that has really shaped me to see the worst in me, like, what things in me that sometimes will get in the way of projecting or making someone else feel uncomfortable, you know? Uh, and that's really helped me that before I point a finger at someone, I ought to point a finger at myself, you know? And that's what really helped me during the genocide. I wanted to kill my dad. I hated my dad. But before I could point a finger to those who did that in Rwanda, I, I really helped me forgive my dad because it was easy to say, how dare you do that? But then I realized that I had the same anger towards my father the same way. So I would say, yes, you know, before you point a finger, really, my mom always say three points at you, you know, <laughs> look inside yourself and say, but what part do I play? Where did things go wrong that I, 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 I changed? And if I can change me first, then the rest I really don't have to worry about. But I got to acknowledge myself first. Yeah, starting with the man in the mirror. Yes. Peter, thank you so much. This has been an, an amazing episode. I'm, I'm excited to share it. And and I just I just want to say um, you're an inspiration for for the way you live your life, the way you share it on social media um, and, and doing it with a smile on your face. Thank you for your positivity and may that light never, never get, get dim. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm going to recap a couple of things that you mentioned along the way really quick as we wrap up, just for anybody who might've been reading or, or who, anybody who might've been driving or, or cleaning while listening to the episode first. Today was harsh enough. Um, understanding that when, when today is hard, it gets hard to have hope for tomorrow and, and mm. being in a place like that um, really makes it hard to project a future. Um, mm. The hands of a stranger, 
uh, when Peter said, I would rather die by the hands of a stranger than give my father the, the gratification of doing it, understanding some of the the environments that some of our, our young children around the world could be in. And then we believe words. Think of mm. us as kids, how vulnerable and how open we are to some of the the feedback life gives us when when other parents or when people pour into us with words we hear it enough we start to believe it and when we start to believe it we start we start to craft a story around it and that mm -hmm. becomes the behaviors that we follow so mm -hmm. focusing on words and affirmations of positivity love and care and grace can completely change the trajectory of a young person's life mm -hmm. and helping the most vulnerable when when you come from a place of weakness you know what it's like and and you really don't want anyone else to feel like that so it, it really much sounds like peter's from the area of, of, of like that i can vulnerably say myself i've been in a place of of insecurity and discomfort i've been mm -hmm. told i make people feel comfortable probably because i don't like being uncomfortable and i don't want that for anyone else as well so mm -hmm. helping those most vulnerable and we have a role to play Dads, I'm talking to you now. We have a role to play, and and your kids want you in their lives. And if maybe you're 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 single and you, you think you don't have anything to give, and and but you your cup runneth over and you're blessed with a lot. Well, there are foster kids out there who probably would love an experience with mm -hmm. you if you're mm -hmm. willing to take that step. And of course, let them be heard. A lot of times, we don't give our children, those around us, the opportunity to be fully heard, fully heard, fully seen, fully appreciated. And then before you point a finger, make sure you look at yourself. Mm -hmm. Guys, thank you so much. Peter, thank you so much. This was amazing. Uh, we appreciate you guys making it to the end. If you enjoyed this episode, hit that like button, subscribe button, leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing. Share it with a friend you know can get value from it as well. And make sure you catch us again next week to catch another episode. And as we always say at the end, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain. But you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Yes, girl. Job.